This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. You are listening to the number one horse podcast in the world. Here's your entertaining look at the horse world and the people in it. Good morning, everybody. I am Glenda Geek in Ocala, Florida. And I'm Wendy Ying from Sarasota, Florida. And you're listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for October 3rd, 2019. This episode is brought to you by the American Driving Society. Good morning, horse world! Driving Society President Dan Rosenthal gives us a sneak peek of the new driven dressage test. Kathleen Hake introduces us to the horse-driven hearses. And my dear friend, Dr. John Langlois, shows us how to help our horses with tweenot therapy. Well, good morning, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Uh, as you probably have guessed, the live listeners, you're not listening to this live because we had to pre-record it because we're in Lexington, Kentucky. And I hope you caught yesterday's show where we got to catch up with Jamie after her first round at the Thoroughbred Makeover. We had a lot of fun in that episode. And we'll have another one for you tomorrow from the Thoroughbred Makeover, but we can't guarantee it's going to come out in the morning. It may be later in the day. It depends when we can record it, when when she's done and when everybody's available. So uh, we look forward to bringing that to you as well. But today's all about driving. Dr. Wendy is back. Well, the first thing we do on the show every time is a product feature from drwendaying.com. And what do we got this month? Well, today on a TCVM segment, we're going to talk about stagnation and body pain. So I, I wanted feel to talk stagnant about it our... today. It's two hours past do... lunchtime and I'm kind of sleepy. You know, well, <laughs> yeah, see, so your energy is stagnant, but also you have Lyme disease. So that is very common to have, like, you know, that achy pain that you have sometimes? Yep. yep. Your whole body pain? Yep. That's what cheese stagnation is. Ah. It's like a dull ache, like your whole body hurts. Just and that can be ain't from. Ain't quite right. Ain't, ain't doing right. Ain't doing right. But, that's right. <laughs> but a lot of times that's like from overuse or if you have poor posture or, um, you know, you just strain your muscles. And then we ha- talk about blood deficiency which also can be a source of pain. Um, Sorry, blood stagnation, which also can be a source of pain. And that's like a sharp stabbing pain. That's like if you get a bruise or like in our horses, they get kicked by their buddy and they have one area that's just stagnant. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's like the most common thing that happens in our horses and people, right? For sports injuries, you either have dull aching pain or you have a sharp stabbing pain. So body sore is great because that has these herbs in it that move blood and move chi and that can relieve your pain. And in fact, some of the um, herbs in body sore I've talked about before and we call them Rujang and Moya, which is, Boswellia and myrrh. Remember we talked about yeah. that, the three wise men yeah. carrying, because Boswellia, the other name for Boswellia is frankincense. Ah. So frankincense and myrrh are these resins from these trees. Uh, and they're kind of like, it's kind of, so it's kind of like pine sap. 
you know, and um, you can use that topically or you can uh, take it internally. And it, what it does is anti-inflammatory. It relieves pain. Um, Boswellia, especially, you know, we see that in a lot of joint formulas nowadays. And it's been shown to... Um, to increase the viscosity of your joint fluid. So that's why we use things like Adequan and Legend, right? Our uh, poly, yeah, yep. uh, our glycosaminoglycans. And, and myrrh or Moya, that actually is anti-inflammatory. Also, it, it has a high antioxidant concentration. So especially with the Lyme disease that you have, Antioxidants are really important in stopping nerve inflammation. So I used to make fun of my dad all the time about, he used to give me tons of vitamin C no matter what was wrong with me because he's like, Linus Pauling said you have to take vitamin C for the antioxidants. <laughs> but And I used to make fun of him, but I, I was wrong and he was right. Antioxidants really are key for reducing inflammation, especially of the nerves. And also, current research has shown that myrrh actually uh, stimulates your internal opioid receptors. So it's, it's like stimulates your natural endorphins for pain relief. If you throw some gold so, in there, you'll have the triple crown. Some gold? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> You'll have gold, frankincense, and myrrh. You'd be have the triple crown. Hey, can you send me some of this? It sounds like I need it. <laughs> like... I will. I, I I did send you some of this before. You said you didn't like it because it hurt your tummy. Oh, see, and that's, that's another thing. thing, too. Yeah. Sometimes these herbs are strong, and they can hurt your tummy. But for you, like, you might be able to do some um, topical, the topical cream, if you have places that where you're aching, painy, but we can we can get get you some more gentle blood movers. Okay, good. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and they can buy this at drwendying.com. And what do they search for? And they search for body sore. Body sore. And so we have that on the site, but also you can go to the um, my blog post. There's tons of more information about that. Well, we have so much to do on today's show. Let's get right to our first segment, which is always Kathleen with Carriages 101. Talking about one of my favorite, what I consider some of the most beautiful carriages ever made. Exactly. The hearse. The hearse. And I first was exposed to the horse-drawn hearse with Wendy, of course, which sounds appropriate, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> as we went to Martin's for the first time together, right after we met probably 10 years ago now, and they had a oh, bunch yeah. of hearses that year. Um, but they are so ornate and so beautifully made. They really are. And museums are really starting to collect them and display them as works of art and craftsmanship. Because particularly after the Columbia... Um, exhibition which was the chicago world's fair they really truly were works of art and just amazing the amount of detail not only in the coach itself but in the lamps and the hammer cloth and all the details that went into them and it's really a good way to demonstrate all of the craftsmanship that that surrounded the carriages industry by displaying them that way 
now, just amazing. Now, one of the things, too, is they've gotten a, a large resurgence. Remember, Wendy, we've had a couple of people who drive hearses, one from London and I think one other on the show over the years, because people want horse-drawn hearses again. Yeah, and, you know, actually right here in Sarasota, uh, my friend Desiree works for a man named Mr. Cuneo. And we've had Desiree on the show before. And unfortunately, Mr. Cuneo passed away uh, last week. He was in his 80s. But um, he had the Desiree and her sisters drive the Frisians to the hearse from his house to the cemetery. And it was really beautiful. It was really beautiful seeing his horses take him to the cemetery. And in that particular case, he was able to pick out the hearse that he wanted, Mm -hmm. which is also something that happens a lot with people that do have horses. Um, They kind of have an idea of what they want. So you can see everything from a John Deere wagon converted. They'll they'll put the black um, mourning cloth over top and so that uh, you slide the hearse, excuse me, the uh, coffin in and carry it that way to to the very ornate uh, hearses. The one thing you do have to watch, not all of the historic hearses are big enough for today's people. So <laughs> yeah, if you're, that's true. <laughs> if you're shopping for one, you do need to measure. Um, it is something that is important uh, that you don't really think about. And also that the um, bottom will support it because what most people don't realize is that there's ca- there should be casket rollers and briar pins in the hearse. Uh, so what the roller pins do is allow you to put the casket in in a dignified manner and let it roll back to the, the correct sitting spot. And the briar pins, which often become lost because um, they're only about maybe four inches tall, four to six inches tall, they hold the, the casket in place and they would be fitted specifically to, to that um, casket so that it wouldn't move as you go up or down a hill. Um, and those are things that uh, well, if kind you're of getting a reproduction, you might not see. <laughs> if you don't want grandma rolling out the back, I guess that's kind of important. Oh, gosh, that would be horrible, wouldn't it? Oh, my goodness. Grandma rolling out the back. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, and I can see the rollers would be important, too, because, you know, pushing and shoving grandma with about six people isn't very attractive either. Right. And which is really when you go back to the original hearses that they had, they were called briar, a funeral briar. And the wheels are about the same as we would normally see. Um, but, you know, like the delivery dolly that, you know, maybe a FedEx or UPS comes with. Mm-hmm. They... It, where they have the the piece on the end that keeps things from rolling away or falling off. They're a lot like that. They have uh, just a real slight edge along the side so that it, the casket couldn't tip one way or the other. And then on the ends, it looks like you put two dollies together. And it, would, it could be elongated or shortened as the case may be. And so they were very simple, but at the same time, Somewhat complex because they were they they could be lengthened, but y- you didn't want to lose. <laughs> you really don't want to lose that person. <laughs> that that's very embarrassing. When, when, that when did these ornate ones start? I know in the old days they used to you know throw them in the back of a buckboard or you know an old fashioned wet uh, cart of some sort and bring them to the cemetery. Mm-hmm. But I assume at some point somebody said, "Ah, oh, we got to make this a little fancier." 
so they've kind of well so 1468 we have pictures uh artist drawings of the funeral cortege of richard ii we know that henry the eighth uh which everybody should remember from school he had an extremely ornate uh hearse but back then they didn't call them hearse they called them chariots but his uh henry the eighth was a massive massive thing it took eight horses eight strong horses ridden by eight children to pull it his uh corpse had been embalmed uh and the lead that encased it weighed about a half a ton so the whole thing would have been enormously heavy and what they did he was heavy to begin with (laughs) oh he was he was not a, a, a little man but uh you, you think about this and you're like, well, how did they make these so quickly? Because, yes, you know that, you know, everybody, death and taxes, that's the thing that nobody escapes. But how did they be able to cure the wood and, and get everything done that needs to be done to create a hearse that's this big, or in this case, a chariot? And the, re- the thing that they did was they carved them from both wood and wax. And so oh. that was a little faster. Now... You know, if if you and I had passed during that time, we, we would not have a wooden wax one. Uh, we would be lucky if we had the briar. We'd be in the back of the back. Of the <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, his his in particular uh, were was extremely ornate and um, was actually more like a architectural undertaking than anything else. It was huge. Um, okay, I'm looking and they at three drawings of, of it. Oh, my God. It was high, too. It was like 30 feet yes. high. It was huge. Yes. Oh, and, my God. And so that's, that's where it gets a little, yeah, the funeral procession of Bishop John Islip is probably what you're looking at, right? Yeah, yeah. And, um, yeah, that's that's amazing. And, and we know that, like, they used one and a half tons of wax for that. Um, and that's just amazing but that's one and a half tons of wax yes so there's three there were three hearses you hope it wasn't a hot day because yeah yeah yes (laughs) yeah what happens if it's a hot day well i'm guessing that you just hope that you get there i mean with with eight horses pulling it with eight kids riding the horses and this over a ton well so we're talking probably three thousand pounds that they're pulling you're more worried about going up or down a hill than melting, I think. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> um, but so out of the three hearses that they made for that, which they called them chariots, um, the one had 1.1 ton of tons of wax. The other had nearly a ton. And the one at Windsor was 1.8 tons of wax. Mm. And that is a lot of wax. But that's why, because you're like, well, where did all these hearses and, and things go? Well, some of them were just that the common people used, they were just burned afterwards because of all the uh, plagues and disease and such. But these other ones, some of these royal ones, they were just destroyed afterwards. Um, Now, there are some that that still exist, but these ones that were made out of wax that they, you know, did within a two-week period. Because, I mean, and you still, you think about building something that's 38 feet tall. In, in two weeks. In, in two weeks. That's really short period of time. So it's amazing that what survives does survive. Um, here in the United States, one of the earliest ones 
that we know about um, is up in Maine, and it's a circa 1800s Orstron hearse. It is very plain. It's fairly small, um, and it literally is a box on wheels with little ornate, mm, I'm going to call it a fennel. It's on the top, and it's just a decorative little thing on each corner. Uh, but that's it's nothing to look at. Um, we didn't, if you weren't royalty, we really didn't get into the ornate stuff until, um, well, about the time that Prince Albert died. Um, 1820s is when we really started having cemeteries as we know them now. So before that, if you were a common person, you were just buried, buried, you yeah, know, at the wherever. family cemetery or yeah. whatever. So it wasn't like you went long distances, only royalty and people like that did. But they began to run out of space and began to build cemeteries to remember people during the 1820s. And then in 1861, Prince Albert died. And that's when we redefined mourning when Queen Victoria mourned. And uh, it created this whole different um, atmosphere surrounding death. Up until then, like this, this hearse that's in Maine, it's very plain. It's, it's all wood. There's no, um, you don't see the body. And after that, we begin to see the big glass, sometimes the round glass. Mm -hmm. there, there's different shapes. And plus, we became better at shaping glass. Uh, but at that point, people actually wanted to see their loved ones. And so it became uh, a different type of mourning than we had seen before. This is also when you start seeing the different colors come into play in a hearse. Black ones, for a long time, they were just black out of practical use. And then they became used for men. And white became used for children and unmarried women because you were innocent. Mm -hmm. And then eventually there was also gray. And the gray is for um, uh, old maids, um, women, <laughs> widows, <laughs> you know, people that, you know, they weren't necessarily the young, innocent child that they right. had been for the white, but um, widows. Um, widowers, that type of thing went into the gray. Um, and so you weren't quite as pure anymore, but uh, you didn't need to go into the black funeral for the, for the men. Um, which is an interesting thing when you ta start talking about color and how, how it reflects your social economic classes and things like that. Because we always, we see the plumes on horses' heads, mm -hmm. right? And that yeah. all comes back to the, some of that Victorian stuff. And it, it actually there's some thought that it comes from Egypt and um, cause e Victorian England kind of went through an Egyptian phase there for a little while and how there's an Egyptian God that is related to birds. And well, that's when they found a the lot justice. of the uh, big tombs in Egypt was during the Victorian right. phase. So it became, it became a thing because it was a thing. Yeah. Right. And it really was. And, and so that's where the plumes start coming in because it was to had to do with justice and, and your afterlife. So if you were really poor, you didn't have any plumes. If you had a little bit of wealth, but weren't really wealthy, you might have three to four. If you were wealthy, you might have five to six. And if you were really rich, like Carnegie rich or, you know, something like that, then you would have seven. Okay. And uh, that was, that was when you were really something is when you had all those feathers. So 
we went through a period where we had really ornate carriage uh, hearses, chariots, whatever you want to call them at that point. And then we began, as we moved forward in history, to add the lamps, the ornate um, carvings. And then eventually, you know, we run out of space on the carriage to do interesting things. So we, we have to move to the horses, and that's when we start putting feathers on. And uh, so it, it gets really interesting. And then also as we progress, we get into different types of carriages because not only do we have the body, but we have all these mourners. We have all these people who sent flowers because at that point we start getting into flowers. So there's all these different pieces of carriages that get developed along the way, and which gets really interesting. And then there's this one gentleman, um, and he's fairly well known for starting one of the first school buses. He was in France and, and different places. He ended up in England. Um, and his name was George Schilbert. And he got out of debtor, debtor's prison, apparently by creating this mixed carriage, which the front is primarily glass, and the driver sits above the, the glass area, which is where the casket goes. And then immediately behind this, in one vehicle, is where the mourners, the family, would sit. So it was all connected into one interesting-looking vehicle. Hmm. <laughs> so it really looks like an Amish vehicle was attached to the glass piece of uh, a, a hearse. It is really what it looks Pulled like. Pulled by but normally, mules. <laughs> <laughs> but normally, peop, the mourners would walk behind the carriage, right? Yes and no. As you get more and more into the cities and defining the cemeteries, mm -hmm. they would come in vehicles because they would, um, the place where the person died and where the cemetery is becomes further apart. Now, oh, I see. So in the a procession, there would be a funeral procession. Right. It truly is. Mm -hmm. It truly is a funeral procession. And when they, it's a little bit different here in America and in the American West because it was, the the cemeteries were a little closer. So that's where, in our tradition, we think of the mourners walking beside the vehicle. Mm -hmm. And that tends to be a little bit more Western in our thinking. We've watched a lot of, you know, going to Boot Hill in the Westerns. And that's where we kind of get that from. Yeah. Um, so I have to ask, do you know what the world's largest hearse is? No. No. Nope. Okay. Nope. So it is in a Czech museum. It takes eight horses to move it. It was built in 1895. Weighs three tons. Three oh tons. God. That's incredible. And it's about four yards tall. Has a really ornate glass, round glass. And it has these gold painted angels that are not sure exactly how tall, but they're about three feet tall on each corner which gives oh you an God. idea of how big this vehicle is um but that was in 1895 that they built that i'm looking at a, a picture of it and it's pretty ornate <laughs> yes yes but again you really well and, and we could get into the different religions because particularly with catholicism they tend to have a little bit more ornate ones um the gothic hearses that were particularly sent down uh, to South America. I mean, Cunning, uh, James Cunningham and Sons, who was out of Rochester, New York, 
they made one that was 14 feet long, 8 feet tall. It took carvers about three months to make it, um, but there was 14 of them working on it, which gives you an idea of how ornate and big this thing is. It's just, it is an incredible work of art, going back to our previous conversation, and it's just amazing. But uh, this is this is why I like this time of year. Everybody else gets excited about pumpkin spice, and I'm like, no, it's the time of year where we can talk about horses without being weird. weird. By the way, so I I looked up Czech horses, horse-drawn mm-hmm. horses, and oh my god, there's some weird ones. There are some yes. really weird ones. Why do the Czechs have such weird I, horses? I don't know. I don't well, know. and part of that again goes back into some r- religious t- quirks. And um, you can get into different ones. And you go from so ornate to I pulled one for, um, I think it was uh, um, a Jewish hearse. And that is very plain and very respectful. You know, I mean, that's their thing. And that's what they want. And it's so different. Um, And it has to do with symbolism of, of, of the whole thing. And you can get into a whole three-day lecture on um, the symbolism attached to these vehicles and what's on them and and how it all relates to the soul and what people believe. But it, it gets really interesting. And it, it's truly, it's, it's you have to be careful if you Google because you don't want to see some things. But uh, they can, <laughs> it can get really interesting. Uh, there is a National Museum of Funeral History down in Houston, Texas, and that site, if you go on that, that's pretty safe. Um, that, National so you can, Museum of Funeral History. Yes. That's Kathleen, would these, <laughs> would, these, would these people, would the, would the horses and the drivers be just driving the hearse, or would they have other carriages, like were they commercial drivers and they would do other jobs, or they were specialized? A lot of them are specialized, and there's some stories about horses that, um, just like the milk horse would learn where to stop, that mm-hmm. the hearse horses would learn how uh, to stop at the homes that were draped in um, mourning, uh, which was great, unless that was not your house that you were stopping at. Right. Um, because in particularly in cities, there were enough people that passed on a regular basis that it was a specialized business, and uh, it could keep you gainfully employed um, in the winter. They would put uh, take off the wheels and put sle- uh, sleigh runners on them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and during the uh, summer, of course, they were equally busy. And uh, so they, they, the drivers and the horses could very much get used to looking or, you know, running the hearse route mm-hmm. and, and things like that. And there were specialty, um, particularly during uh, in larger cities, special vehicles that went to pick up the body um, because, you know, they may not have always died at home or someplace where they could immediately oh, yeah. hold the funeral. And so, you know, they had to be, they would put things over the horse's nose so that the smell wouldn't bother them. And, mm-hmm. and there's a whole history into that. And, and with the fly nets, uh, they would drape the horses um, sometimes in cloth but also in fly nets, which would just so that they would stand still and be yeah. perfectly still. Well, Kathleen, that's so fascinating. Thank you so much. And it's a great topic for October. You're right. Isn't it? Yes. 
So we can't wait to hear what you talk about next month. I always look forward to your segments. Well, and you. um, uh, where can everybody find more information about this? We have some information at Carriage Association, um, Carriage Association of America, which is caaonline.com. And if you're truly interested, there is a book that we carry called Horse-Drawn Funeral Vehicles. It is for the diehard funeral vehicle person because <laughs> uh, there's a lot of information into it. But it's, it's a really good book if you're interested in it. I'm so excited that I finally got my good friend, John Langlois, to come on the TCVM segment. John is a, an equine practitioner in Ocala, Florida, and he's been practicing veterinary medicine for 38 years. Mm. And um, he became certified in TCVM and spinal manipulation about 10 years ago. And he's one of our great masters in uh, traditional Chinese veterinary medicine. He teaches all aspects of TCVM at the Chi Institute in Florida, and he teaches internationally. And he joins us today to talk about Twina therapy and his massage invention, the curry on a stick. Well, John, welcome to the Driving Radio Show. I'm so happy to have you join us. Hey, and thank you for the invite, and I'm also happy to be here. Um, you know, we love to talk about TCVM on this segment, and you know, a lot of people feel like they um, they want to help their horse at home or between treatments. And one of the best ways they can do that is with Twina therapy, which is like a, a Chinese type of massage. And you specialize in Twina therapy. So can you give us a little insight on that? Yes, I certainly can. Well, my specialty is in traditional Chinese veterinary medicine, but my favorite of the five disciplines which includes acupuncture and herbology and food therapy, and in humans, qigong and tai chi. But I find it very difficult to get the animals <laughs> to do this. They're just not real good at it. But Twina is one of my favorites on all these disciplines because it is something that we can integrate the owner and show them, train them a little bit as follow-ups in between our visits. And basically, you know, Twina is nothing more than a Chinese manipulative therapy that we use and we apply it to acupuncture points. And I know not lay people may not know acupuncture points, but we're also trying to move energy in the main channels of the body. And these are very important ways to get uh, balance created because that's the whole idea of doing traditional Chinese medicine is to put the animal in balance. And I do Twena every day uh, as part of my treatments on horses. And just as a side note, Twena is really, really good in and I work with a lot of what we call hot horses or mm -hmm. fire-type horses. They're not right. real tolerant of needles. And same way, I don't do much dog work, but on the dog, an aggressive dog, it would be a wonderful way to get some technique in using Twena. And it's just as effective. And, in fact, I'll talk a little bit more as we go about how it's even more effective than acupuncture if it's done uh, under direction. Right. And so now how, um, you said that we work on the acupuncture points. How is this different from just like regular Western massage besides the acupuncture points? Are you following the meridians or? Well, I think, you know, you could probably say that it's a combination of traditional, uh, uh, massage and an acupressure and maybe mm -hmm. even a little bit of 
chiropractic thrown in those three disciplines together. Mm-hmm. But it is very different than just a basic massage because what we're using is traditional Chinese medicine principles, okay, of understanding and making a diagnosis, of, of right. establishing what is our pattern, what is our diagnosis. Same way if anybody goes into the hospital, hopefully they'll get you a diagnosis. And so once we have that, we can design our Twena to affect that um, that imbalance. And so we're doing a lot more things than just moving tissue with our hands. Much right. So, like uh, people that are li- that listen to the TCVM segment know that we talk a lot about yin and yang, and uh, chi stagnation and how that relates to pain. So, what you're saying is we we look at the whole animal, make a diagnosis as if we're going to uh, just like what we do when we treat them with acupuncture or herbal therapy, and then we we design our tw- twena plan in relation to the pattern. Correct. So it's not just, you know, get on and just start doing a few techniques. And the techniques that we do, there's 21 different ones that we use, and they're kind of six different categories or systems that we use. So we have a lot of different techniques that we can do depending on what is our goal. And so we want to try to do balance the external part of the body with the internal part of the body. So Mm -hmm. that means the external and the organ. So that's a way for us to do that by using traditional Chinese medicine. And stagnation is one of our biggest things that I see every day, and I think it's one of the ones maybe we can focus on for a minute, if you will. Yes. So stagnation is basically just a word that describes when the energy of the body, which is qi, and we know qi and there's many different Eastern disciplines have different words for it, prana and Qi and different words. So qi is just the universal energy that flows through the body, and that's well recognized. And when it doesn't flow through, then there is pain. We like to see that there's a free flow of qi and a free flow of blood through the body, and then it's balanced and does well. When it doesn't flow, it creates pain. So one of the more important places for pain to come is on the surface, okay? It's on the young part of the horse. It's exposed to the external pathogens that are out there. There are many, and they include mm-hmm. wind and heat and damp and summer heat, uh, stagnation or trauma. And so stagnation occurs a lot of times when there is trauma, and trauma may come from a number of different reasons. It could come from, you know, bumping into something, or it could come from an improper training technique, which is imbalancing the horse, saddle right. fit, lot things. So we can get stagnation very easily, and it tends to be on the surface. So if we recognize it early, it's very easy to remove. And Twena is my number one go-to for stagnation that occurs on the surface of the body. And it's occurring on the surface of the body between the skin and the muscle, even above where the main channels of energy run. These are really Mm -hmm. prone. Use several different techniques to get this out. And one, again, the lovely things about it is I can show after a visit, I can show my handler or owner or groomer two or three different techniques to do during the week. And again, as we mentioned into our, our new Curry on a Stick um, tool, it even becomes more advantageous to try to get things to mow through and, and prevent from it going any deeper. And in Chinese medicine, we understand that from stagnation, it may get into deeper layers, depth into the muscles, maybe that deep into connecting channels, and then maybe even deep into into joints, bones, and organs. So 
Uh, we want to keep it out as, as fast as we can. So it's uh, twenty hours a way to, um, to do it the easiest. Yeah, and that just makes sense. Uh, you know, even from our Western point of view, you think, okay, you're unbalanced. And then say the horse starts to have a little bit of a back issue and they carry themselves wrong, then they start to do more wear and tear on their joints. So with the, if you start doing Twena early on when you're just in the, in the surface layer, you can avoid a lot of compensatory damage to the body. Absolutely, and I think that we're learning more and more, and it, it is a constant focus when I go out to practice. They want to know, is it in the stifle? Is it in the fetlock? Is it in the hock? Well, it may be, but it, most of the time, it first starts from the upper part of the body, the neck, the lumbars, and the butt. And mm-hmm. that's the area out of balance. That causes the lower limbs to misfunction, and then we have a joint problem. But we missed the primary problem, which was up high. So, you know, in my practice, I see, like you said, I see a ton of lumbar pain like that, that usually, even if I'm getting called out for something else, that's not for primary back pain, the lumbars in our sport horses take a lot of wear and tear. So what, how would you, um, handle a case where, uh, you know, you had stagnation in your bladder meridian maybe near your lumbar area? Well, um, we have, some, we have different ways to do that, but in the context of using Twena, we want to do two things. We want to focus on the local environment, okay, by mm-hmm. moving that stagnation or pain out of the general area, but we also want to focus on the distal environment. And this may not be directly for a, a layperson or an owner, but in our practice, we can use those distal points to create movement through the energy areas to get uh, that stagnation out. And again, as a follow-up, using our curry on a stick tool or using our hands uh, t- to keep moving, there's three or four different techniques to me that are marvelous. So we can get that out. And just as an example, I oftentimes have had cases where I've had shoulder stagnation. The horses are sore behind, so they're doing a lot of reaching and pulling. Mm-hmm. So I've done situations where I've done three different Twainot techniques on one side and electroacupuncture on the other, and the Twainot is far better short-term. Oh, wow. And, um, and you mentioned the curry on a stick. Tell us about this curry on a stick, your great invention. Yeah, well, um, it goes back uh, about a year and a half ago. Uh, I was contacted by my client who... She has some arthritis in her hands, and she asked her husband if she he could design an instrument that she could hold on a handle as opposed to grip around. And mm-hmm. she's also, you'll understand, a very strong metal constitution, so she really doesn't want to have dirt in her fingernails. <laughs> so we designed this to be on a handle or a stick, and that's what it's called, S-T-I-K, stick. And it spent, <clears throat> we spent over a year in development to try and find something in our understanding was if we can find a tool that the owners enjoy using and the animal enjoys receiving, then we'll do very well. And so it took us time, four or five different protocols. So we designed this with as a double-handled instrument that has some very coarse or firm bristles on one side for work over the body and, um, and trunk, and then some finer bristles for work on the face and or limbs. And so we put a little bit of weight to it because we wanted to create a mechanical advantage a bit so that 
your arm doesn't have to do so much work that the instrument combined with your arm effort is um, in unison. And um, and we made it into a beautiful soft rubber with an ergonomic handle. And one of the nice things is about a rubber product is this one doesn't smell like rubber. So you're not taking an instrument up to an animal where they're going to be on guard immediately. Mm-hmm. So that's well. And again, we're just thrilled of it because we have over a dozen videos and testimonials of all the way from the horse to the dog to the cat, the kitten, and even show goats. So it's it's being enjoyed <laughs> by all. That that excites us tremendously. That it's going to be you know out there and used. And you know I, I hope uh, soon we're going to put up on our website, which is running uh, www.curryonastick.com, and we're going to do some informational and kind of tutorial things for using this as a combination of uh, massage tool, grooming tool, bonding tool, and Twina tool. So. We hope to put those up so that uh, people can follow up and, and see as segments change and we'll give a little bit more information how to make this tool something you'll, thrill, you'll really enjoy. You know, I really like that you mentioned it as a bonding tool because, you know, you mentioned um, Qigong earlier. Is uh, Sometimes I explain to my clients, you have to, even though we can't tell the horses to do Qigong and pay attention, sometimes we need to spend time with them when we're not worrying about getting ready for competition or worrying about our job or worrying about other things and just we need to relax and and have time for them. So I that's think a that's a wonderful point. And I put ahead. that on my website. There's a little segment out there about how, how to be mindful, you know, and take yourself away from whatever you're dealing with and really connect with the horse for the moment. And, and that, you know, grooming is not just uh, brushing the saddle area before you hop on and go. It can be so much more. And uh, I do it to my animals, and we go out in the evening and, and just have time, and they, they'll stay there as long as I do. I bet my – I now you made me feel guilty. I'm going to have to get one of these for my goats. I never curry my goats. Yeah, well, these were show goats, so they got to have a special tool. <laughs> well, John, thank you so much for joining us, and I hope everyone goes and checks out Curry on a Stick. And um, – You'll have to come back and join us sometime and let us know when your videos are up and we'll we'll go over this again. Good, and thank you. And thank you for your earlier mention about trying to bring more out to um, the owners and people so that uh, they, can, they can do all they can to, <clears throat> to help their horses or dogs or kitties. That's right. <laughs> all right, thanks. It's time for our weekly chat with the American Driving Society. Well, it's time for our ADS segment, and we are lucky to have the president of the ADS, Dan Rosenthal, here with us today. Welcome, Dan. Hi. Good to be here. Well, you know, I've been listening to the show, and I heard that you had a segment on uh, tweenoth therapy. And I wonder, I know it's, this is not the ADS, but would it be okay if I talked a little yeah, bit about we, my own experience sure. with that? Yeah, we'd love to hear. Um, I admit to some bias on this subject because in 2007, I woke up one morning and I couldn't move the left side of my face at all. Um, I had Bell's palsy 
And um, after self-diagnosing the Bell's palsy by looking on the internet under <laughs> facial paralysis, I went running off to the hospital because I also wanted to make sure I wasn't having a stroke. Um, spent half a day in the hospital, ended up going home, seeing my primary care doctor, who's a Western doctor, and all of them said, well, there's nothing we can do about this. Bell's palsy is a numbness. It may or may not go away. I was really stunned by the fact that they knew pretty much absolutely nothing about it. Mm-hmm. So I started looking around and I discovered that acupuncture was, um, had been found to be very effective. I went to see an acupuncturist here in New Jersey who was fabulous, um, not only in helping me re- recover use of my facial nerves and muscles, but also in deadening the pain. Uh, because one of the things the doctors forgot to mention was that Bell's palsy is painful. Um, and then he suggested I go see a Twina therapist. And I went to see a uh, local woman who had studied in uh, China and who was a practitioner of Twina massage therapy. And it was fantastic. Uh, between the two of them, they got me my face back. Uh, <laughs> I have to tell you that having the ability to move your face is a really good thing. Yeah, yeah. It, it helps. <laughs> It, so it really helps. I found story. it. I found it really humiliating to have to drink beer through a straw. <laughs> and, uh, Is that the worst thing? Pe- <laughs> yeah, people laughed at me, uh, but it really helped. And you know, I just for those who are listening, uh, Bell's palsy happens to a lot of people, and I couldn't possibly recommend more. My experience was fantastic. Um, and, you know, they were interested in me and they were interested in what was wrong with me. So anyway, that being said, thank you for letting me uh, wow. toot the horn of my uh, my traditional uh, Chinese therapist here, even though it's not veterinary medicine. It's human no, medicine. No, but it's so great because in veterinary medicine, you know, with something like, like that, you know, you had numbness, pain, and paralysis. And with when we treat animals we can see if they have paralysis and you know, we can't really judge the level of pain, but numbness is a really difficult thing to diagnose in animals. They can't say, Oh, my leg feels numb. So, Mm -hmm. uh, but, but you're right. Twena and uh, acupuncture is so helpful for that. And we don't have medicine that will help you if you have numbness. So. No, there's nothing, and and there's nothing they can do for a virus that kills the nerve in your in your face, mm-hmm. uh, except tell you to wait patiently for it to come back and to wear an eye patch. Oh my gosh, that's not enough. <laughs> and then not being told it would hurt. Anyway, I could go on for hours about this, but I do need to talk to you about the ADA. All right, good. We can <laughs> do that too. Can we can we segue to the ADS? Yes. Yeah. Go ahead. What have you got yeah. going on in the ADS? It's fall. It's, everybody's getting back to uh, driving. It's been such a busy year for us. Um, this fall, we've got two things I want to talk about. I think one is our annual meeting. Our annual meeting is going to be in December, very late fall, the weekend of the fifth, um, at the Grand Oaks. Um, I forget where they call themselves an equine resort, but it's a, you know at the Grand yeah. Oaks uh, Center in Ocala. Oh, great! Um, which is it's where beautiful. we've had it for the last couple of years. Yes, it is. It's gorgeous there. I would live there if I could. Um, <laughs> Tom Warner, who runs the place, came to us and said, "You know, we'd like to host you again, and we think it would be really fun if you did some kind of an equine event, a driving event." 
So here's what we're going to do. Um, it's the 45th anniversary, by the way, of the ADS. Oh, wow. Uh, yay us. And we've been around a long time. We actually still have members who were there the day it, we started. Um, Audrey Boswick has actually been on the board for 45 years, mm-hmm. um, is now an honorary director. Uh, but at any rate, what we're going to do is we're going to have a four-day celebration of driving at the Grand Oaks. On Thursday afternoon, we're going to have a an event where we're basically just going to encourage people to come and drive around the place. It's a beautiful place. And to encourage drivers, we're going to greet them at the end of their drive with champagne served oh, in ADS, ADS anniversary glasses. Um, <laughs> on Friday, we're going to do a combined test. Um, we're going to have, I hope, two rings running simultaneously. And we're going to have, we have 10 judges who have volunteered at this point. Uh, So I'm hoping we get a lot of entries because 10 judges would be very cool. Uh, It might be scary to some people, but think of the opportunity to have that many points of view. Right. Um, Right. Four of our judges are um, senior judges, Yousef, FEI judges, and the rest are are, uh, newer judges. And so there'll be a lot of people you don't ordinarily get to see. Friday morning, we're doing a derby, um, which has become a very popular form of driving competition. Mm-hmm. That's going to be judged uh, by Donna Bright and Holly Pulsifer will be RTD. And that's going to be followed by a demonstration of all of our new dressage tests. Oh, wow. Um, which How I'll long has it been it in, for the changing of the dressage um, tests? The vast majority were from 1994. They were edited extensively in 2008, and all of the ADT tests for the arena driving trials were created in 2009 and 2010. Mm -hmm. So it's been anywhere between 10 and 30 years. It's it's time. Um, Tracy Morgan and and the dressage committee have spent the whole year working on these tests, and they're ready. Friday was the combined test. Saturday is the derby and the demo, and then Sunday is a safari drive. Um, I thought it'd be a lot of fun. Isn't that fun? I thought it'd be fun to get the board to dress up as animals and run around and people (laughs) could identify board members. (laughs) Unfortunately, uh, our board meeting is at the same time, so they won't get to do that. They'll be stuffed animals. You could dress Um, up for the board meeting. That could make it more fun. I will suggest it. Okay, yeah. They they can come and identify board members. (laughs) Saturday night is our... um, our annual meeting followed by our gala um, at which we will uh, present our dressage medals, our hours to drive awards, um, and the volunteer of the year and the president's award will all happen on Saturday night. Um, And so it's going to be quite a weekend. We're going to do some, a meeting for organizers on Friday afternoon and a meeting for, um, officials as well so that they can get together and share ideas. Um, so there's a lot of stuff. And the biggest part for me, I think is the, is the new dressage test, which is the second yeah. thing I wanted to talk about. Um, we have, um, new tests for all of the levels so that the ADT and regular dressage, uh, tests for training prelim and intermediate will all be replaced 
um, in 2020. We're still discussing exactly how we're going to go about phasing all that in. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've looked at the tests, and they're fun. Um, I drive hair and four at prelim with my ponies, and I'm really looking forward to doing these tests. There's things in them that I've never had to do in a test before. So, like um, what? What's your? What are you looking well, forward to? What What do you think is going to be the most fun? And then, what do you think is going to be the most difficult? The most difficult, I think, is going to be getting my forehand hand through a two-loop serpentine from X to C. That's 20 meters. To do two, serpent, two loops of a serpentine with a forehand hand in that will be a challenge. Yeah. Um, just driving in a straight line for me is a challenge. <laughs> you can do it. <laughs> I'm going to try. Um, the two that I think will be fun are uh, there's a deviation, which you need to learn because you have to do it at intermediate. And why do it when you have to start? There's a small deviation in one of the tests. And there's, oh, excuse me, for the first time, a one-handed component. Um, and they kept it friendly for us okay. prelim drivers who are terrified to drive one-handed. Um, and so it's as you're going across the diagonal, as you get near X, you put the reins in one hand and keep them there as long as your nerves can stand it. And then you <laughs> go back to two-handed driving. Uh, but it's an experience to do it in a straight line, mm-hmm. uh, which sounds easier than it is. Um, you know, going in a straight line uh, can be a challenge. And doing so, it's I, I'm very excited about them. Um, yeah, the training I think level that's tests great. are good. We think people will like them, and it really, truly is about time. Um, we're going to publish them in a different format than we've used before, mm-hmm. uh, and I think people will like that too, um, rather than just be a test that a judge would use, which has all of the um, steps in the test with little boxes next to it for judges' marks mm-hmm. and then a drawing on the back. What we're going to do is we're going to print them um, from two perspectives. One is from the driver's perspective, so they, they will kind of be from the perspective of someone who drives into the arena at A. Mm-hmm. And so what we'll be focusing on is the movements and what the ring looks like and not on what the judge is going to write next to you. And in fact, there won't be any boxes there. Oh, that's um, good. The, the test says you'll be able to find them on the website will be from the driver's perspective and for the judge's perspective. Um, the score sheets that we're going to use when judging dressage tests will obviously still be available, but those won't be the main focus. Mm-hmm. We really think we want to make it more visual. Um, I think that'll be great. So we're, me too. Thank you. Um, yeah. And we're looking for volunteers. So if your listeners want to volunteer, um, they should contact Tracy Morgan because she needs people to drive the tests. And there are... Uh, uh, 12. So we need so you, 12, 12 You need 12 drivers to come. Somebody will drive the test and the judges will talk about it while they're driving? Yeah, Tracy will. Someone will drive the Great. test and Tracy will narrate, will narrate the movements. And um, they won't be judged. They'll be cheered uh, because you know <laughs> that they're volunteers at guinea pigs. Yeah. And you should come drive one. I should. Now I have to ask you something. As a foreign hand driver, um, what do you think about uh, your prelim test? Do you think it's there's something that is um, 
like you know, sometimes a prelim test don't think about foreign hand drivers. Uh, yeah, when they're doing it. So, what, what is there anything that you saw as a foreign hand driver that you're really going to have to practice? The there uh, the of the three prelim tests. We used to have prelim five, which was a test just for foreign hand drivers. Right. Which any pony driver will tell you has the longest walk in the entire oh, universe. Tell me, I used it to takes, have to do that tandem. Right. <laughs> That's painful. Tandem. Three days. It's <laughs> agony. And all you want to do is trot and get it over with. Um, right. So goodbye, Prelim 5. What Thank Tracy you. and the committee have created are two tests that can be used for any configuration, um, Prelim, foreign hand, pairs, or singles mm -hmm. um, in the small arena or the large arena. And they're drivable either way. Oh, um, great. Having tried, I've tried to do all of the regular Prelim tests, the current ones with my four, some of them are really a challenge in a small ring. Um, mm -hmm. I don't see anything that's going to be certainly nothing that's Im impossible. Driving the, the the one with the two loop serpentine is not really intended for four hands. Yeah, but I'm going to drive it anyway because I you figure if it. I can do that, yeah, if I can do that, I can do anything. <laughs> um, well, I think they're they're good tests. I and I reserve judgment on intermediate because I'm not an intermediate driver, um, but they all look like fun to me. Yeah. Well, that's next year. You'll be intermediate. Yeah, it next. is. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> do they have any special mini tests, or are the mini tests? Do the minis just show in the same division, or are there special mini tests? No, we have the same test for everybody. Oh, that's uh, great. Min they can be adjusted to the smaller ring for minis if people want to use the smaller ring. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think more and more we're finding that the people who drive the minis are just as happy to drive the, the same stuff. Right. Um, you know, a lot of them keep telling us to increase the speeds on the marathon for minis because yeah. they don't like going so slow. <laughs> uh, so I think I think the minis and my little ponies will be driving the same tests as the 17 hand horses. So, Dan, tell us quickly about your ponies. What kind of ponies do you have? I have Dartmoors. I have six. Uh, Dartmoors being a lot like potato chips. Uh, you can't <laughs> just eat one. I have uh, two. Uh, four, of my six, five are geldings. One is a mare. Um, and I've had... Two of them for 12 years. Um, wow. and the rest, some of the rest are fairly new. I have two full brothers, which is a lot of fun for me. I took the two brothers to Gladstone last weekend. And um, it was fun. I don't know. It's just sort of a special kick to drive two full brothers. Yeah. They, uh, they, it's amazing how similar they are. Not physically, I mean, just in terms of their, their personalities. Oh, that's great. Um, they're a, a, they truly are brothers. And they never met before they came to my house. Oh, you mean they were uh, like born and split up or they were born on different farms? No, they were born on the same farm, but they were born four years apart. Hmm. Oh, and so oh. by the time the second one came along, his older brother had already been uh, purchased by somebody. Mm -hmm. And I found the second one for sale in North Carolina and I couldn't, I couldn't resist. I just bought him because <laughs> I love his brother. And I thought if their brother's, They've yeah. got to be the same. Did you? <laughs> and they truly so, are. So you were trolling the internet for ponies then, huh? Oh, yeah. I bought a pony on Facebook, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this one I, I bought from a friend who had advertised the pony on Facebook. But I did buy one literally off an ad on Facebook. There aren't a ton uh, of Dartmoors here anyway, are there? 
No, yeah, there are yeah, not. There yeah. are a couple hundred in the United That's States. Right. So we know, and I'm very involved with the Dartmoor Association, um, and it's become much more popular. There were, last weekend, there were six classes at two different events that were dominated by Dartmoors, mm-hmm. um, which is really great, right? Two at Gladstone and four at Timberland were all were, had Dartmoor participants in them. Don't they tend to be real um, stocky the, in build? They are, yeah, they look kind of like uh, Welsh ponies, but heavier. Yeah, that's okay. Uh, for the most part. For the most part. It depends on, on the breeding. Um, they tend to be a little bit, for their weight, their, their legs are a little bit shorter, their bodies are a little bit bigger. Um, they were originally bred to be coal ponies, pit right. ponies. Right. And then they discovered that, that they were also wonderful family ponies. You know, Dartmoors have... They pull things and they take young kids uh, for pony rides. Hmm. That's what I love about them. Their personality is so nice. Yeah. I know. They're sane and safe and sweet and strong, and they have the most astounding work ethic. Uh, My ponies just go and go and go and go and go and go. (laughs) Uh, And they're easy to match because they're all brown, right? (laughs) That helps. Yeah, they're all within about two inches of each other, and they're all brown. There are a couple of grays. There are two grays in the United States, but they're not many. Yeah. Um, they basically come in various kinds of brown. Wow. Yeah. Um, you know, there's some buckskins and some very, very dark browns, but they're all basically just dark bay ponies. Oh, very that's cool. great. So what's the date of the um, ADS meeting again, the winter meeting? Starts on the 5th of December. The 5th of December, and it's going to be at the Grand Oaks Resort down in, um, go ahead. In Ocala. In Ocala. And uh, it sounds like it's going to be a fun time. That's great. We're so really everybody... looking forward to it. We, we hope you can come. Yeah. So, And also, people can get more information at, um, on your ADS website, the AmericanDrivingSociety.org. And uh, do they have to fill out a registration form ahead of time? Yeah, there's a registration form on the website, and there's also an omnibus entry for the equine events, and people can send in, uh, download and send us an entry form to participate in any or all of our driving events um, to arrange for stalls and all of that sort of stuff, just like any normal uh, driving competition. And they should get there early so they don't miss the... Uh, kickoff champagne drive. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to that. I may not drive. I think I'm just going to, I'm going to serve the champagne. Um, <laughs> That's always the best it'll job. It'll be a lot of fun. Last year we had about 105 people. I hope this year we have twice as many. Wow. 105 people. That's a big crowd for the meeting, huh? Yeah. We were really excited about it. Uh, we actually had to, we reached the point where we had to start saying to people, we've run out of tickets for the dinner. Um, <laughs> and that was, that was very nice. There have been years where we had 35, <laughs> so over a hundred was wonderful. Well, see, everybody wants to come to Florida in December. So we're glad you're coming down to sunny Florida. <laughs> yeah. It's not a complete accident that we're not doing this in Montana. <laughs> Thanks a bunch. Well, thank you so much, Dan. 
Well, you can find all of the links to today's guests and show notes at horsesinthemorning.com. Don't forget, we'll be back with another recorded episode from the Kentucky Horse Park tomorrow. We'll be back live next week. You can follow Horses in the Morning on Facebook. Just search for Horses in the Morning. You can find Dr. Wendy at drwendying.com. And you can have all of the Horse Radio Network shows with you wherever you go on our free app for iPhone or Android. Just search for Horse Radio Network and download it. Well, thank you, everybody. We appreciate you being here. Thanks to the American Driving Society, as always. And we will be back again tomorrow from the Thoroughbred Makeover. And don't forget, keep the shiny side up. <laughs>